Happy National Pizza Month, y'all. I'm Betsy, and here are the pods we're tossing into the Popping Collars feed for October 2022. It's a deep dish on Popping Collars this month when Liz, Ricardo, Greg, and I explore the layers of our favorite pop culture calendar years. The only thing scarier than Papa John is our latest episode of The Canon, when our panel of special guests draft movies based on the works of Stephen King. Going on 30 is loaded with all the toppings this month when Greg and I go overboard discussing Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Ryan Parker is back as our special guest on The Sacred Six, where he talks about the Masetta, the only thing flatter on the Camino de Santiago than a thin Pizza Hut pizza. Finally, the PC Book Club features the most surprising thing this side of stuffed crust when Greg joins Ricardo to talk about his favorite spooky books of all time. Ooh, it's spooky season. So grab an extra slice of the longest running Episcopal podcast of all time and keep those collars popped. Hi, I'm Greg. And I'm Betsy. And this is Going on 30, a Popping Collars side project where we'll be back. <laughs> just, just, I mean, you could have gone with like 10 different lines right there, but okay. <laughs> She's not my mom, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> the movie that keeps on giving, the script had to have won an Oscar this one, just keeps on giving. <laughs> Uh, with movies that were nominated or should have been nominated for Best Picture 30 years ago this month, we're looking at Terminator 2, colon, Judgment Day. Same make. These were taken at the West Highland Police Station, 1984. You were there. Same model. These were taken today. You have to let me see my son. He's in great danger. New mission. Once, he was programmed to destroy the future. I don't know what it's like to try to kill one of these things. Now his mission... Get down! ...is to protect it. Come with me if you want to live. His loyalty is to a child. Who sent you? You did. 35 years from now. And his enemy... He's a Terminator like you, right? Not like me. ...is the deadliest machine ever built. Can it be destroyed? Unknown. This time, there are two. Terminator 2. You just can't go around killing people. Why? If you thought you had seen it all... Stay down! Go! Now! We gotta stick together! Arnold Schwarzenegger. Terminator 2, Judgment Day. This time, he's back. For good.
Trust me. I'm so proud that James Cameron clearly, clearly understood search engine optimization before there was even an internet. He was like, no, this can't just be Terminator 2. No. Because that's just going to get confused. We've got to throw in. Well, but you've already had some other action movies, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this, who have done the same. (laughs) He's, He's not a trailblazer. Exactly. Let's not give James Cameron more credit than James Cameron has already taken for himself. Okay. A Titanic colon. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I have a brief description of this movie. Betsy, would you like to hear it? Let's do it. Nearly 10 years have passed since Sarah Connor was targeted for termination by a cyborg from the future. Now her son, John, the future leader of the resistance, is the target for a newer more deadly Terminator. Once again, the Resistance has managed to send a protector back to attempt to save John and his mother, Sarah. It's no, nearly the same description as the first. And they acknowledge no spoilers. That. No spoilers in that no description. Spo- I'm pretty amazed at that. Uh, yeah. That's more than can be said for the Guns N' Roses video that came out of this <laughs> That is true. Uh, Betsy, what is your history with Terminator 2 colon judgment? I feel like I watched this movie. I don't know whether I watched it in the movie theater. I feel like I might have rented this movie, but it was inescapable. Yeah. Like that is so you you tend to ask what my sister thinks of these movies. So Emily, right. when we talked about Terminator 2, mm-hmm. she said she remembers watching Terminator 1 over at somebody's house way too young. Oh. So she's not even, she's never seen Terminator 2, but she remembered that it's, a, it was, she said it was a summer movie. You couldn't get away from it. Like right. MTV movie awards, probably the VMAs there. Right. You know, she just remembered a lot of things liquefying and yes. coming back together. So whether that's a cliche to commercial or a joke on a sitcom, it was everywhere. Mm-hmm. And of course the catchphrases from this film are everywhere oh my god hasta la vista baby was inescapable it was like the i caramba (laughs) but i caramba has not had the same staying power that hasta la vista baby yeah all those parts ruby wandered into the living room while was watching (laughs) the final half an hour of this movie or 45 minutes she's like she turned to me like that line happened she's like is this where that comes from (laughs) yes it is yes it is yes so Uh, but i remember too you know we're still we're early 90s right uh, you know lots to be had about you know linda hamilton she's a strong woman Mm -hmm. a lot of that kind of conversation going on her arms i remember people talking about her arms and i had to go look up when gi jane came out which isn't until like 97 or something i know gi jane is sneaky later than you think yes yeah and so i i kind of equate it to our conversation that we had on on our most recent episode of popping collars there's this moment in the 90s where like women were just kind of doing it, right? This is an action star woman. I do not believe Linda Hamilton's over sexualized in this movie necessarily, mm-hmm. right? At times, yes, of course, victimized in a mental institution, et cetera, et cetera. But it's not like she's Laura Crofted, 
you know, like it's, right. it's still, we're still, it's just this different, you know, you could watch this movie and hear 10,000 maniacs on the way home from the uh. So, but that's kind of my history with it. It's, it's, it's such a phenom. Yeah. That even if you didn't see it in the theater, it feels like you did. It's so funny because we've talked about Linda Hamilton in a, in like a totally different context earlier this year when we talked about Beauty and the Beast. Yes. And it's just like to think it, that this is the same person. Right. <laughs> it's just, it Who melts can... your brain. Wear a beautiful winter overcoat. You're a fog machine in Beauty and the Beast. Oh man! But can um, equally put on a kind of vest and rack of of ammunition. That's right. Yeah. Amen. What about you? So I didn't have cable when this movie came out. What is this? Is this movie rated R? This movie is rated R, which is another thing that is nuts, right? Because this was like, when you say this was the summer event of the summer, it was. Like, this was yeah. huge. And if we're like nearly 10 years, like Ed Furlong's supposed to be nine. So it also right. has a child protagonist in it. Yes. This movie was huge. And I can... I know for a fact that there were a ton of video game tie-ins that went with this movie because I, I played a lot of those. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk. I have things to say. I've about got that. to figure that there were like Happy Meal tie-ins or something, you know, action something. figure tie-ins or something like that associated right. with this movie. And yeah. just the idea of like selling an R-rated movie to kids is amazing to me. Well, but, and it's um, like, could they, I don't know whether they, is it what do you think got at the R? It's the violence. The violence is what yeah. tipped it to R. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so all that is to say, I didn't grow up with cable. Uh, my parents built a log cabin out in the basically the middle of nowhere. So in order to get cable where we lived, you had to have a satellite dish. And back then they didn't have the little satellite dishes. They didn't have like the dish network dishes or the direct TV dishes that we're used to today. They had giant satellite dishes, right? Like these huge things that you would have to put in your backyard. And in order to like change the channel, the dish would have to move to like catch a different satellite. And so like just flipping through channels, it would take like 10 minutes to sort of cycle through the various satellites. It was crazy, right? That's crazy. So that was the only way that you could get stuff like MTV where I lived is to have one of these giant satellite dishes. <laughs> Except it turns out that my aunt who lived right next door to us had one of these giant satellite dishes. So Summer Greg, who was out of school and whose parents were at work all day, would just wander down to my aunt's house, knock on the door, grab some popcorn and watch MTV all day because yep. that was my outlet. Right. There you go. And, uh, and boy, when Terminator two came out, Holy cow. Hmm. That Guns and Roses video is on all the time. Robert Patrick's face was like oh all gosh. over the place. Like I just remember this movie just took up all of the pop culture oxygen yeah. the summer that it came out. Because I think too, yeah, and I know we'll probably talk about this. I mean, it's action and it feels like a horror movie. It's both. It has tropes right. of a horror movie. Right. Yeah. With the yeah. way. Yeah. yeah. It has a, a very Michael Myers vibe. 
steps yeah, yes. going on. Totally. Relentless. That <laughs> Relentless. Um, Betsy, what are your hot takes? Hot. Hotter than a steel mill. Oh my gosh. Fire takes. So much fire. So, okay. So one of them was the horror aspect, right? I think particularly when it really struck me very much, gave me strong alien vibes. Yeah. Like when he gets blasted with that, you know, right before he gets thrown into the molten whatever, he's making these noises like a like alien or like a demogorgon or like mm-hmm. it, it was just very that part was really interesting to me. So the kind of relentless horror of the bad guy. The the slight pauses before all of the industrial life magic moments they really <laughs> wanted you to see them there's just a beat right like he's going through the bars did you see that he did it did you see it and boom Incredible. and so they're very proud of the special effects on this right. film yeah it's a lot it's a yeah. lot you would think that ai would also be more intelligent to make the ai less creepy if you're sending it back to interact with human beings right John Connor, he makes this point, you know, like, is there any way to program you so you're less weird, essentially? Right. right. You know, wouldn't you kind of have done But that? you also get the sense that, like, you know, just thinking of the T-1000 of Robert Patrick, right? Yes. Like, he must... So this is a machine who is still, like, in the habit of killing human beings in the future. Yes. So... Being back in the past, surrounded by human beings, he must want to kill every single person that he sees. <laughs> he wants his spear arm all the time, his ice pick arm all the time, because so that is by far it, the creepiest. Exactly. That's, what, that's probably my favorite, one of my favorite kind of special effects. I also, it very much felt like I was watching a video game. You brought up video games yeah. earlier. Yeah. It really felt like, oh, now we're at the level in the lab. Mm-hmm. And now we're at the level in the molten lava factory. Mm-hmm. And now, we're, you know, and that you're, because you're ultimately trying to fight the big baddie, right? That's how you end the video game and do that. And so it, it very much, this was, I remember this as being a lot of like stand-up video games and arcades still a thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where you're essentially just you have a couple of different weapons you can just fire like gun like game physical mm-hmm. gun games yeah and like that that being a thing for sure with this one I was wowed by the special effects and I, I feel like when you're having essentially a movie that's kind of the rehash mm-hmm. of something that you've already done on a lower budget it's because it's essentially the same plot only John yeah, Carter is not an that's, that's actually one of my notes is that it, yeah. it feels like a remake of the 1984 movie yes. rather than a sequel to the 1984 yes. movie. And and it was also like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger or the if people like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Can we make him the good guy? Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's I, an element of that, too. Yeah. I, I, I likened it to it's kind of like what Evil Dead 2 is to Evil Dead. Mm-hmm. It's not a sequel. It's it's basically a reimagining like. If we were to reimagine this story, uh, I imagine Cameron would have rather told it this way than the way that he told it back in '84. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, so that that those were kind of some of my hot takes. Yeah, um, yeah. From uh, so my hot take, this is the definition of a rewatchable movie for me, and oh. the reason that I say that is because if if this movie is on television, I will stop and 
probably watch the rest of it or at least watch like the sequence that it's in. So, mm-hmm. and, and you're totally right when it, when it comes to like how this movie is structured, it goes from sequence to sequence. Um, so it's like, so if you show up at, on this movie, if you're like flipping through and all of a sudden you're at the motorcycle chase scene in the LA yes, river and, basin, you're yes. like, okay, well, let me finish this chase scene. Right. Or if you're at the attack scene on the Dyson household, you know, when Linda Hamilton is like, um, trying to take, da- take down miles Dyson, you're like, okay, well, let me just watch through this part, you know? And this movie is just totally full of those where it's like, okay, well, I'll watch through the rest of this. And then eventually you find yourself watching through the rest of the movie. Yeah. So that rewatchability is just baked into this movie. I think Mm -hmm. for me anyway. Yeah. Um, The action sequences are relentless in a, in a way that kind of, you know, echoes the, mission of the terminator itself you know it's just this mm. it's just these non-stop things that just keep going and keep oh going and well, keep and going like, you can't get away from them you know well we're not just having a truck we're having a semi we're not just having right. a semi we're having a semi full right. of liquid nitrogen and then we're gonna then we gotta up it let's get a helicopter involved. right we've got right. another chase scene but we've let's just done a chase scene so how do we reinvent how do we make this better yeah yeah it's just the the ramping of the tension just um sucks sucks me in anyway and then of course like i feel like there's a thing that he's doing with this movie where he's playing with tropes of what we what we anticipate and then what it, what it is that we get so Okay, so um, I guess we should say spoilers for a 30-year-old movie. I mean, I mean, but to be fair, before this movie came out, I knew this twist because it was all over all of the marketing for the movie. But Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was the bad guy in 1984, is the good guy in Terminator 2, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so and so it, you know, that expectation that maybe if you were going into the movie spoiler free that record scratch moment of like wait what like arnold's the good guy whoa my right. mind is blown and what he's going up against is an la police officer in robert patrick that's the form that the t1000 the villain takes is the form of an la cop the first person he runs into Right. And it, but I've got to think that that's an intentional choice mm-hmm. by Cameron. He's saying something mm-hmm. because when, when the T 1000 shows up at John Connor's home early in the film, like what Cameron focuses on is the car door that says to protect and serve. But there's no intention of this yeah. guy to protect or serve anything. Right. Well, all the authorities in this film, aside from, John Connor, Sarah Connor, as as future authorities in a rebellion, mm-hmm. right? They everybody else is a, is an utter failure and a buffoon. Like, let's have a group of psychiatric doctors walking down a hallway, openly talking about a case file of a patient and laughing about it. Right. <laughs> you know, everybody is terrible. You know, yeah, orderlies licking patients. Oh my lord! What that? We already right. did Silence of the Lambs. I don't need this again. This next patient is interesting. I've been following the case for years. 
29-year-old female, (laughs) diagnosed as acute schizoaffective disorder. The usual indicators, depression, anxiety, violent acting out, delusions of persecution. She believes that a machine called a Terminator, which looks human, of course, was sent back through time to kill her. That's original. And also that the father of her child was a soldier sent back to protect her. No. He was from the future, too. The year uh, 2029, if I remember correctly. And here we are. Morning, Sarah. No, thank you. No, you're right. Like there's a there's a real sort of anti-institution, anti-authority kind of Yes. Well, because Skynet itself, thing the whole thing. Yeah. And it's so funny, right? Because we're talking 1991, and this movie comes out in July. So this is a few months after the Rodney King tape has been released, right? That was early. But it would have already been filmed and done. And so, and then, um, and then the uprisings happen a year later, and so, and yeah, I I just have to think that he's, yeah, he's he's trying to scratch some kind of itch that he's he wants to say about L.A. policing. You know, the other thing that stood out to me was like uh, the SWAT team. What is it? Linda Hamilton and the Terminator and Eddie Furlong and Joe Morton. They're going to blow up Skynet. Right. And and uh, reshape the future. And the SWAT team shows up and they they take over. And did you know that one of the SWAT team members that rushes in is Dean Norris? Yes. Yes. From Breaking Bad. From Breaking Bad. Yes. And this is a classic Dean Norris role. He constantly plays cops in movies. As a matter of fact, Betsy. What? Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Betsy, I've got the top five Dean Norris cop cameos for movies. The man's been bald forever. Let's go. I'm into it. Okay. Nice. What is is there an honorable mention? I do have an honorable mention oh, because wow. it's not a movie. It's a television show, but it's not the television show you're thinking of. What is it? What not is it? Breaking Bad. He played bomb specialist Clark on an episode of ER. Oh. Dean Norris showing huh. up as bomb specialist Clark on okay. ER. Okay. Is this what a lot of his credits, early credits look a like? A lot of his credits are <laughs> SWAT team leader, officer, officer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what's number five? Number five, uh, he was in the movie Gattaca. And oh. he was listed in the credits as Cop on the Beat from Gattaca. <laughs> Cop okay. on the Beat. Cop on the Beat, maybe checking your DNA or heart rhythm. Okay, great. All right, number four. Number four, Dean Norris cameoed in Evan Almighty as Officer Collins. You've just got your file in the casting office. You know, here's my cop's file. We need like a Dean Norris style. Well, I've got Dean Norris right here. Dean Norris right here. All right, great. All right, number three. Number three. You may remember Dean Norris from a little movie called Lethal Weapon 2, where he played Officer Tim Cavanaugh. Good. Oh, he has a last name. <laughs> he has a last name in that movie. That's yeah. good. That's good. Yeah. Moving up. All right. Uh, number two. Well, Terminator 2 was not the only time that Dean Norris was a SWAT team leader. 
in a sequel. He was a SWAT team leader in Gremlins 2, the new batch. <laughs> is that colon the new batch? Gremlins 2, colon the new batch. Great. All right, number one. Okay, the number one, Dean Norris, cop cameo. And this is one that I know is near and dear to your heart. It's when he cameos as State Trooper McCleary in Little Miss Sunshine. Nice. I do love that movie. That is a great and that's a great great actor. He is a great actor. I really do love him as an actor. If you need a Dean Norris cop, I mean I don't think give Dean Norris a call. I don't think you can get Dean Norris anymore. I think he's I, I wonder who he's passed that on to. I don't know. Maybe as we keep moving through movies, we'll find the Dean Norris replacement. We'll see. Uh, Betsy, what is your best scene from the movie Terminator 2? I think my favorite scene, because you see it coming, is when they run into the molten lava factory. Mm. And and out comes the T-1000 mm-hmm. into the liquid nitrogen. Yeah. And you know he's going to get... I mean, because now I've watched enough cooking shows where right. people make ice cream with liquid nitrogen in a kitchen yeah. mixer. Very dangerous. Very dangerous. Substance. You gotta watch out, but you got to put enough in, not too much. Right. Right. But that it could also freeze a robot. And then when he blows it to pieces. Yeah. And then the slow, the way I think it was my favorite effect, the way everything, the the the, the puddle. Right. Comes back together. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's just it's well done. You know, they just desperately wanted to do it. But that was not how the big baddie was going to go down. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. yeah uh, the sh- shattering, uh, you know, it's and it's yeah. like slow motion. That's when you get the Hasta La Vista. Right. So yep. the T-800 uh, Terminator is starting to loosen up a little bit. You can tell right. that John John's starting to get to him a little bit. So, yeah. 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 Very, very good moment. My uh, best scene is the Dyson home invasion. Danny! Just take Danny and go. Just run. Run. Oh, Jesus. Miles. I I just find that scene. I don't know. It's just so haunting, you know, because the guy's really kid traumatic. is in the room. Like, you know, and, yeah. it's, and she's using this crazy weaponry. But uh, what is communicated and what I think, you know, is pretty on the nose is that Sarah Connor has become the thing that she hates. She's become yes. a Terminator. Right. Yeah. And she doesn't see uh, the value of this man's life. And so she's going to kill him in the way that the T-800 did not see the value of her life in the first movie and was coming to kill her. And so mm-hmm. um, so she's just become like this living weapon um, and become like a mirror of what it is that she's she says she stands against. Um, and I would say that home invasion scene and then taking it to the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Where I don't know, I guess we have a few Sarah Connor voiceovers. I also have to admit, I watched the director's cut of this movie <laughs> because 
on HBO, when I pulled up the regular version, uh-huh. the letterboxing was all weird. Like stuff was cut off on my TV and I couldn't oh, figure really? out how to undo it. Huh. So I, I was like, I went over to the 20 minutes longer director's cut and <laughs> I uh, got that. But so if I'm referencing a scene that isn't in the one that you watch, <laughs> just let me know. But, um, but when they're in the kitchen then uh-huh. and she's then, they're just explained to him, to Miles, what his invention that he's super jazzed about is actually right. going to turn into that moment. I also found really interesting and moving. I think I'm going to throw up. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm going to throw up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that actually is a good transition to my best performance, uh-huh. which is Joe Morton from this. I love Ooh. Joe Morton in this movie. I think he's great. I don't know how much longer I can hold this. And for the longest time, Joe Morton was the Terminator guy to me. Like, it took me a while to sort of catch up on Joe Morton's stuff um, before this and after this. But every time I see Joe Morton, there's still a little part of me that's like, oh, that's the Terminator guy, Joe Morton. Because now he's become the scandal dad. No, I thought he was he was really excellent. I did think it was interesting. Linda Hamilton is so interesting in this movie. Like, she very much still feels like the character from the original movie, she's gone through trauma. Like she's this is almost trauma, trauma informed. I know everyone is using phrases like that, but it's it's a trauma informed performance thinking about what her life was like before all of this, yeah. right? What she had lived through that you, you just wanted to tell her, look, just quit talking about judgment or just mm-hmm. quit talking about it. Like just, you know, how did you end up in a, a mental institution? You know, that that's so, unfortunate and i guess they don't they don't seem to get into a lot of is it just that she talks crazy or is she kind of self-medicating right. some of this around what has happened to her and and all of that her reaction to arnold when he first shows up i did think i mean this is quintessential orange Schwarzenegger as well like this yeah. is really what i need to this look is, at his his credits around this what what was happening with him so total recall was the year before okay um, and then uh, you've got this movie and then coming out of this movie, I think is like kindergarten cop is around here somewhere. Yeah, we go a little lighter. Right? Yeah, he'll he'll go he'll go lighter and then he'll go back to action. True Lies is like two years from this. OK, OK. It's when he gets together with Cameron again. Yeah. But he kind of keeps going back and forth. I think Last Action Hero is around this. I mean, yeah, Last Action Hero is around this time. Twins. Twins, was, I mean, he's Twins working. was like 89 or something, right? Yeah, he's 89. working. So, but I yeah, also so he's... then, I mean, 
I, maybe I'm being wishy-washy. I also then think about, you know, Ed, Ed Furlong, this is his first. Yeah. Anything. Mm-hmm. He doesn't even get a Danny Cooksey. You know, he was on an 80s sitcom or whatever. Like, that's not even a thing. He was cast for this. Yeah. A found kid type thing. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot of fame lot. really early and young. Yeah. Uh, but he's really authentic. Elements I feel of like him- he gets a bad rap. I like it for long. I mean, he's a child actor, so you've got to take it with a grain of salt, yeah. I think. But there are moments, you know, that I think he's great in this, you know. Yeah. I don't know. I found I think him just really believable as this is going to be somebody who could grow up to kind of, even though we know we don't, we haven't really seen future John Connor in any Right. Show. Yeah. Arnold, you know, it, I, I joked before, I think on the last podcast where I was like, well, we've at some point we've got to talk about the, the biggest celebrity of the era, you know? And so that's why I picked Terminator too, yeah. but it, it can't be understood. You know, the movies that Arnold's opening like this movie, like things like True Lies, even small movies that you think would be silly, like a kindergarten cop or something, like they're opening huge. Like he is a uber megastar draw during this time period. Yeah, isn't he an investor in Planet Hollywood? The restaurant with <laughs> uh, Sylvester Stallone yes. and Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis, absolutely. Yeah. So. Yep. Um, Too bad that didn't make it. I agree with you about Linda Hamilton, though. I re- I remember Terminator 2 was the first Terminator movie that I watched. Um, I, I hadn't seen the 1984 movie before I saw this one. And I remember going back and watching the first Terminator movie and thinking, this is not Sarah Connor. Like, this is a this is a totally different character. And I think that that's a credit to Linda Hamilton. Like, she totally reinvents who Sarah Connor is in between the two movies. Yeah. And to that extent, this is a very much a sequel from Sarah Connor's point of view. She is changed from the first film. Yes. Everybody else is kind of just doing a variation of what they did in the first film, but Sarah Connor is a totally different character. And, yeah. you know, I think Linda Hamilton, it's to her credit that, you know, the Sarah Connor from the first movie is not present in this movie, mm-hmm. you know, because of the trauma that she goes through. So yeah. uh, I do have some stats about the movie. <laughs> stats, 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 stats. As you said before, Terminator 2 colon Judgment Day opened on July 2nd, July 2nd, 1991. So it's, it's that Independence Day release. This day in 90210. Mm. We actually Emily already said she hoped it was the episode where, and I don't know if this is a real episode because now it just sounds so plausible that an unhoused man was found sleeping at the beach club, and then Brandon has an interaction with him. <sighs> and tries to We're sleep. actually too early. We're too early for beach club episodes. The no. beach club episodes start right after this. So we're too okay. early for Beach Club. So we're going to have to go back. Unfortunately, there's no there's no new 90210. So we're going to have to go back to the season finale. Oh. Season one, episode 22. The season finale of season one, which is entitled Home Again. The Walsh family must decide whether to remain in Beverly Hills oh. when Jim is offered a new job back home in Minnesota. 
Sophie's choice. Mm. What to do. Mm. Mm. And remember, Brandon always wanted to go back to Minnesota. He wanted to go back, go back, go back. He did. He missed the authenticity of Minnesota. He wanted to play hockey, you know? Right. I mean, it's, I do think, even though I know we are pre-recording this and we are in the podcast time machine, <laughs> I do think I want to say a little something that, you know, Joe E. Tata died. Can we say that? Oh, we can. Yes. Oh. Uh, rest in peace. Yeah. Joe E. Tata. We should also say that the singer oh. of Goodbye Horses, which we just talked about in Silence of the Lambs on our last episode, just passed away. Well, and uh, and and we've had another death from nine hundred two one hundred two. What the the lovely actor, the woman who was who played the teacher, who was also in Insecure, Denise Dows, also. Oh, Donna and, Martin graduates. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah, tough yeah. times. Tough it times. Is. I don't. I don't like it. I don't Spoke like from it. thirty years ago. Okay. Uh, so that was what was happening on nine hundred two one hundred. Terminator 2, colon, Judgment Day, had a domestic gross of $203 million. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, But it was only the number two grossing movie of 1991. We've already talked about the number one grossing movie. That was Beauty and the Beast. Um, Beauty and the Beast. (laughs) Yes. But if that shows you what, you know, where Arnold, Arnold is in the pop culture at this point. Uh, it is the number 215th top grossing movie of all time. All right. This should be good. Between another action film, Bad Boys for Life. That's the fourth Bad Boys movie. I did not see that movie. Okay. Out, I, I want to say that movie was like the last blockbuster before the pandemic. Mm. It was like the last like legit made a lot of money before the pandemic hit. Wow, it's making um, Terminator 2 money? Yeah. Well, oh. inflation. Yeah. Oh, right. Sorry. <laughs> so uh, it comes between Bad Boys for Life and The Amazing Spider-Man 2. So that's the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man. And I don't know who the bad guy is in it. Oh, wait. Uh, Jamie Foxx. It's the one with Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Okay. So, uh, so... <laughs> You get three action movies, Betsy. You get Bad Boys for Life, Terminator 2, Judgment Day, or The Amazing Spider-Man 2, Flirt, Mary Kill. And they're all sequels. How about that? That's interesting. All right, so I feel like because I have less connection, I'm going to kill Bad Boys for Life. Oh, no. Poor Martin Lawrence. You just, you know what? That's a slap in the face to Will Smith. That is a slap in the face. Stop it. <laughs> I'm going to flirt with uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2, and then I'm going to marry Terminator 2 with a big thumbs up. <laughs> going down into the molten lava. I know now why you cry. Yes. <laughs> Something I could never do. <laughs> I cannot self-terminate. Uh, I'm gonna switch your flirting kills. I'll flirt okay. with bad boys for life. Oh, man, killing Spider Man. Oh, yeah, those Spider Man movies are so bad. I know, I know everyone's got love for Andrew Garfield coming out they of the do. new Spider Man movie from last year, but uh, no, those, those Garfield movies are terrible. <laughs> I can't watch those. 
Did did you have a moment when you were watching this, or have you before watching it, actually considered the colon judgment day and why it is called that? Well, they talk about I did not prior to re-watching this movie. And Uh, it felt like a very elementary moment, but then I also was kind of proud of myself for thinking about what other judgments. Oh. How is this also judgment day? In different ways, not just the future event. Okay, you have expanded. I was just thinking, I just accepted it as colon judgment day from the opening narration when she talks about judgment day. But uh, yeah, I guess I guess you're right. I guess there's different ways of thinking of it. Right, like we're going to go change the future. Mm -hmm. And I have to admit, I have not seen the sequels. No fate, but what you make. Uh, the sequels, every sequel coming after this movie is god awful trash. <laughs> you should not watch any of them. Okay, all right, that's good to know. Even though um, Linda Hamilton's haircut looks really good. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this movie had a ninety three percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Speaking of Judgment oh. Day, what do you think Roger Ebert's judgment of this movie was? Oh man, it makes me want to know what he said about the first one. Now, you said that this had a twinge of horror to it. And we know for a fact that Roger Ebert detests horror movies. I think he's going to be lukewarm. Okay. Okay. What you got? Uh, Betsy, he actually really likes this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything? But you're not going to be able to tell it from his review. Okay. Okay. His review says this. Mm -hmm. Nobody, I think, will complain that it doesn't have enough action. Three and a half out of four stars. <laughs> no, nobody is going to complain about that. No one, nobody's going to complain that it doesn't have enough. Action. You're not going to leave this movie and say, "Man, that didn't have enough action." In it. That's never going to say and, and go down a Wikipedia wormhole of the different rocket cannon launchers we're using. But three and a half out of four stars—that's a high score. Uh, Janet Maslin says, uh, "Mr. Cameron has made a swift, exciting special effects epic." that thoroughly justifies its vast expense and greatly improves upon the first film's potent but rudimentary visual style. She liked it, I guess. She says it was worth it. How about that? Okay. How did it do at the Oscars? Betsy, this movie won one, two, three, four Oscars. Okay. All right, I'm going to guess. What do you think? Um, I was surprised that I recognized the score from this movie. Mm Mm-hmm. I do not think it won an Oscar for score. Da, 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 da. I know. Da, I just, da, da, da. I just. Okay. Uh, no, it did not. No, win it did not. So I'm going to say I'll go for, you know, whatever sort of visual effects. Uh, yes. Best visual effects. Yes. Best visual effects. Thousands. And then I'm also going to go for uh, sound editing. Yes. Best yes. sound effects editing. Yeah. This this yep. tends to be when it's a heavy special effects. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a secondary sound category, sound mixing. Yeah. Um, but they didn't Did call that it not sound mixing back, back then. They just called it sound. They just said best sound. They didn't they didn't differentiate between mixing and blah blah blah. So so yes, huh. best so it, it best sound, best sound effects, best visual effects. Oh, those and are and the there's first. one more. Oh, um, this is this is a win. Yeah, it won one more category. Mm-hmm. Cinematography. No, it's nominated, nominated for okay. best cinematography, okay. but did not win. Okay, what did it win? 
It won for best makeup. Those makeup effects. Oh, my skin's coming off and there's a I'm little the Terminator. bit of Terminator. I just got shot in the face and now I've got a red eyeball. Yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't yeah. look like it's like sticking out of my face. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Best okay. makeup. Uh, was was it, it nominated in any other categories? Yeah, so it was nominated for best cinematography, uh, like I said before, and it was also nominated for best film editing. Okay, it is really well edited. I, I agree. With it that. is. Yeah. It is. And if the sound was off, it would have been a weird experience. <laughs> it would have been a weird experience. How do we? Uh, how do we set them off? Remote control. Piece of cake. You got company. Police? How many? All of them, I think. Go. I'll finish here. I'll take you off the police. Hey, wait! You swore! Trust me. Okay, let's uh, talk about the lasting legacy of this movie. And what I've written down, Betsy, is gun glorification. Yep. So here's here's the thing. I believe that Hollywood has always kind of worked overtime on making certain things look cool. One of those is driving fast. One of those is smoking cigarettes, drinking hard liquor. And using guns. Hollywood has always made these four things look cool as hell. And this movie is trying to convince you that guns are great. (laughs) They will do exactly what you need them to. And gosh darn, wherever those bullets fly off to. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it feels, and I don't know whether it's that I just don't watch movies that do this anymore. Has that altered? So John Wick's a perfect example, right? Like those are movies built around how cool can Keanu Reeves make the use of guns look? And they're so incredibly successful that they're going on a fourth film now, you know, and people eat it up. Like, no, I think it's, I think it still exists in the culture. Like, you know, if you think about any movie poster of an action movie, if you think about the trailer for any action movie, um, if you like if, even just turn on your television, right? Uh, watch a TV spot for the Queen Latifah version of the Equalizer on CBS and see how many people are posing in a cool way with guns. Like I, this idea of making guns as attractive as possible has existed forever. No, and, and I, I don't think that. I think it's more it's because the ammunition becomes it's what they're driving. It's what they're wearing. It's also, it's, it's costume. It, mm-hmm. and, and that sort of element for me, and that so many iconic scenes in this movie are how he cocks that gun over and over again on the motorcycle. Right. Or how she cocks that gun again when we're in the molten lava factory. Mm-hmm. And, and there's just, I think that sort of everything 
especially in a movie that has so many amazing special effects, that those are also two lasting images for me. You know, and it's one of these things that I'm not one of these like, you know, conservative gotcha YouTubers who's like, oh, Hollywood, they talk about how they're anti-gun, but then they just make guns look awesome in movies and stuff. That's a bad faith argument that people make. However, listen, any time that you've sort of made the Charlie's Angels pose or whatever, mm-hmm. like there's a reason why you're doing this because it looks cool. It's because we've been trained to think that this looks awesome. Um, and I, I don't know. Like, I think that it's kind of movies like this that give that, you know, that that really sort of um, help keep that belief thriving, you know? Well, it's also this evolution of who is the enemy, right? That there's when they're explaining to John how Skynet kind of did what it did. And he they mentioned Russia and he's like, oh, but aren't they, they our friends now? And mm-hmm. so because we've just come out of the 80s where the Russians were clearly not our friends and we're meeting them in all sorts of different fields of combat and yeah. they're the bad guys. And so now we've we have, we've moved into aliens as bad guys before right. yeah, while we've also been dabbling in Middle Eastern people as bad guys. And then we'll double down a little more mm-hmm. on that. But down to like even now, like what it was a very strange experience watching Top Gun Maverick and being like, who what country who are they fighting? Are they? Yeah, exactly. Fighting yeah. When we very much like to define who we are fighting against. Yeah. I don't know. I I just wrote down a couple of questions that it seems like the answer is obvious, but I'm not so sure. So like the first question was, do gun glorification movies like this affect the way that we see guns in like real life? I think about these movies and I think about people wanting to own like AR-15s, things that just automatic weapons that Mm -hmm. can fire over and over and like over. I got to take out Miles Dyson. I need as much ammunition as I can get. It's because it's excessive. It's excessive. It's and then, totally you know, excessive. what's excessive, what they use. And then on the grassy knoll in the like Skynet parking lot or whatever, every LAPD police officer lines up with a gun and lays down in the grass and starts shooting at mm-hmm. a building. And you have no idea who's in there. Like, right. it's just so. And you know that there's a woman and a child in the building. Yes. See, I'm with you on this, and I want to. I want to get at this. I want to pick at the hyper reality thing a little bit more. Arnold Schwarzenegger looked really cool in that movie. I want to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Those are the kinds of people that I don't think understand how movies are what we would call from our pop goes religion class hyper real. They're not. Re- this isn't real. There's nothing. This isn't a realistic scenario. But there are people that take it and say that was badass i want to be badass like that it's like you were saying this movie is kind of funny this movie is funny because of how ridiculous it is with these guns like this isn't how you this isn't how these machines work well and just how how there's this element of you know does that look fun right and powerful to be able to shoot something just shoots and shoots and shoots and shoots yeah, and then thinking about the first-person shooter games that this right, yeah, works. and and that's the that's the million-dollar question, right? Because what we what we're told over and over again by psychologists, I know that this has been drilled into my brain. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. as like someone who under who watches and consumes popular culture that violent movies and violent video games don't create yep. violence in the real world that has been drilled in but i'm just going to ask the question anyway do you think violent movies and violent video games affect how people see the world i do think that there are elements where where the desensitization around some things mm-hmm. definitely can happen yeah but that's kind of the way i think about it that I, yeah, I haven't grown up in gun culture. It's not kind of what I, I'm familiar with. Mm-hmm. But I don't I mean this is entertainment, right? This is fun. Yeah, I think this. I think the sin of video games, like first-person shooter games and movies like this, is not that they're going to create violence necessarily. But I do think their their great sin is that no one ever really dies. Mm. In a video game, if you get shot, you just respawn. Mm -hmm. And your death was just a blip or a a mild setback. Um, And in a movie like this, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger fires 20,000 rounds of ammunition. And at no point does a ricochet bounce and hit somebody. Does a piece of glass break off of a car and like lodge in somebody's eye? Like at no point does any violence actually happen when you're shooting grenades at cars. Especially having a Terminator that you can just shoot over and over and over Mm. again. Give him a couple of seconds. He bounces right back. He'll be right back, man. He'll be right back. Takes off his arm and he's, you know, he's good to go. So we'll put a, we'll, put the gun glorification conversation to rest and we'll say, who is this movie for Betsy? It's hard to say. It's not really for kids. <laughs> it's not for kids. It's not for kids. Even though there's a kid in it. It's a weird, interesting blend of sci-fi and action. I, th- mm-hmm. I think bringing those two groups of people together is interesting. Yeah. So, you know, is this the same group of people who would later go see the abyss? I don't know. Is the abyss more, action or more sci-fi or is it this cameron style of blending both yeah together and that that inclusion of your industrial light and magic and and the evolution of special effects for some people who see computer enhancement as a detriment to movie making they would be very sad about mm-hmm. this this is a movement forward or backward or however they would look at it it is for your summer movie going audience. It is. Yeah. They want yeah. it. And you're bringing together the geeks mm-hmm. and the, and the, and the people who want, you know, to hit harder, shoot farther. The diehard people. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, that's where, that's where your money is. That's where your money is. Yeah. I, and to me that, that adds up to one very particular demographic, which is teenagers. And I even went as far as to specify teenage Greg. Is this this movie (laughs) is for teenage teenagers who are like, oh, that was badass. And then they go back. This is your 18 to 40. This is then they go back and they buy another ticket. They're like, oh, my God, you got to go. You got to see this movie, man. Arnold Schwarzenegger. (laughs) Uh, Teenage boys. They're so dumb. (laughs) So what is your rating for this movie out of five? Um, I actually was struggling with my rating. 
I'm having a hard time. I mean, there's elements of this movie that I enjoy. There's elements of this movie that just feels so dumb. <laughs> and so <laughs> having a hard time kind of weighing its, you know, gravitas. No, that's how fine. it ended no. up on this list. I get it. Brag. I get it. I'm going to give it a three out of five. Okay. All right. Uh, ahead of Beauty and the Beast or behind? Below you? Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Oh, for Linda Hamilton. <laughs> Sorry. Here, let me put it on your colon judgment day on my on my note on my phone. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Uh I give this movie a four out of five, okay. which is which is lame uh because I picked it. It probably deserves a three. You're probably right. But the reason I give it a four is because there's never a moment when this movie's on television that I just won't stop and watch it. <laughs> And I think that there's something to be said. You know, sometimes I don't know that it matters if a movie is good. Sometimes I just appreciate a movie that's rewatchable. And that's what this movie is for me. It so, is. It is. So I guess you're probably wondering, why did I nominate this movie? <laughs> well, I think, I mean, I you already kind of said it, right? When are we going to talk about Arnold Schwarzenegger? I yeah, think, I think that this was... brings up a lot of different things that if we're talking about that, movie making in the early 90s right and i i think that was part of it like part of it is that i i thought you know it's probably worth talking about arnold schwarzenegger and just how big of a box office draw he was 203 million dollars that's really incredible for 1991 um box office but also you know we we really haven't had a ton of blockbusters like mm-hmm. we've done you know we've we've talked about sort of balancing like indie film and stuff like that but we've we've really um avoided things like the die hard 2 and home alones of the world and stuff like that and you know of of all the potential blockbusters that we could talk about i i think that this one has kind of a long kind of tale to it it's a it's kind of a sequel of our conversation that we had about the abyss and what cameron's trying to do and just like you said so many movies coming from this are going to be affected by the way that this movie was shot and the way that this movie was marketed yeah just like star wars in 1977 affected the way movies were marketed Terminator 2 affects the way that movies are marketed, especially blockbuster movies are marketed uh, going forward from 1991. And so, so that was mainly, I just wanted to, I mean, I don't listen, this isn't a best picture winning movie, but it is an important movie. And that's kind of why I thought it deserved to be on the list. I think. So that is it. Terminator 2 colon judgment day in the books. There we go. Nice. Next up, next up, Betsy, you're going to be in the driver's seat. I am. Literally. Literally. <laughs> I'm going to bow out of our next episode. You so are. do you want to tell our, our listeners what it is that you're going to be talking yeah, about? Yeah, so for our next episode, Liz and I are going to talk about Thelma and Louise. Hey. Yes. Thelma and Louise, hey. Ridley Scott, 1991. Right. So... And yeah. some more Harvey Keitel. We get some more Harvey Keitel. Good. And some Brad Pitt. Have we had any? Brad oh, Pitt? young Brad Pitt. Wow. Yeah, I don't think we've had any Brad Pitt up to this no, point. I don't think so. What would he have been in? Cool. Nor world. Sarandon. <laughs> we have had 
um gina davis unfortunately we have had gina davis but i i don't like to bring up the gina davis is is a little it's a different kind of gina davis than please (laughs) have this be different road trip road tripping with liz yeah we're gonna drop fly out to nebraska and we're gonna drive around (laughs) together and record this it's gonna be great nice Betsy, thanks for uh, breaking me out of my maximum security psychiatric ward uh, so that we could record this podcast. Of course. Uh, Will you be back next time? I will, but you won't. Hasta la vista, baby. (laughs) (laughs) 